Section ninety three of Mark Twain A Biography. Volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter one hundred and ninety seven. Finishing the Book of Travel. One reading the Equator book today, and knowing the circumstances under which it was written, might be puzzled to reconcile the secluded household and its atmosphere of sorrow with certain gaieties of the subject matter. The author himself wondered at it, and to Howells wrote, I don't mean that I am miserable, no, uh, worse than that, indifferent, indifferent to nearly everything but work. I like that, I enjoy it, and stick to it. I do it without purpose and without ambition merely for the love of it. Indeed, I am a mud image, and it puzzles me to know what it is in me that writes and has comedy fancies and finds pleasure in phrasing them. It is the law of our nature, of course, or it wouldn't happen. The thing in me forgets the presence of the mud image, goes its own way wholly unconscious of it, and apparently of no kinship with it. He saw a little company. Now and then a good friend, J. Y. W. McAllister, came in for a smoke with him. Once Clemens sent this line, You speak a language which I understand. I would like to see you. Could you come and smoke some manillas? I would, of course, say dine, but my family are hermits and cannot see anyone. But I would have a fire in my study, and if you came at any time after your dinner that might be most convenient for you, you would find me and a welcome. Clemens occasionally went out to dinner, but very privately. He dined with Bram Stoker, who invited Anthony Hope and one or two others, and with the Chattos and Mr. Percy Spaulding, also with Andrew Lang, who wrote, Your old friend Lord Loam wants to see you again, with the Henry W. Stanleys and Poultney Bigelow, and with Francis H. Scrine, a government official he had met in India. But in all such affairs he was protected from strangers, and his address was kept a secret from the public. Finally, the new-found cousin, Dr. Jim Clemens, fell ill, and the newspapers had it presently that Mark Twain was lying at the point of death. A reporter ferreted him out and appeared at Tedworth Square with cabled instructions from his paper. He was a young man, and innocently enough exhibited his credentials. His orders read, If Mark Twain very ill, five hundred words. If dead, send one thousand. Clemens smiled grimly as he handed back the cable. You don't need as much as that, he said. Just say the report of my death has been grossly exaggerated. The young man went away quite seriously, and it was not until he was nearly to his office that he saw the joke. Then, of course, it was flashed all over the world. 
Clemens kept grinding steadily at the book, for it was to be a very large volume, larger than he had ever written before. To McAllister, April 6, 1897, he wrote, replying to some invitation, Ah, but I mustn't stir from my desk before night now, when the publisher is hurrying me, and I am almost through. I am up at work now, four o'clock in the morning, and a few more spurts will pull me through. You come down here and smoke. That is better than tempting a working man to strike and go to tea. And it would move me too deeply to see Miss Corelli. When I saw her last, it was on the street in Hamburg, and Susie was walking with me. On April 13th he makes a notebook entry, I finished my book today. And on the 15th he wrote McAllister, enclosing some bits of manuscript, I finished my book yesterday, and the madam edited this stuff out of it, on the ground that the first part is not delicate, and the last part is indelicate. Now there's a nice distinction for you, and correctly stated, too, and perfectly true. It may interest the reader to consider briefly the manner in which Mark Twain's editor dealt with his manuscript, and a few pages of this particular book remain as examples that he was not always entirely tractable, or at least submissive, but that he did yield, and graciously, is clearly shown. In one of her comments Mrs. Clemens wrote, Page 597. I hate to say it, but it seems to me that you go too minutely into particulars in describing the feats of the aboriginals. I felt it in the boomerang throwing. And Clemens, just below, has written, boomerang has been furnished with a special train that is i've turned it into appendix will that answer page one thousand and two i don't like the shady principled cat that has a family in every port then i'll modify him just a little page one thousand twenty ninth line from the top I think some other word would be better than stench. You have used that pretty often. But can't I get it in anywhere? You've knocked it out every time. Out it goes again. And yet stench is a noble, good word. Page 1038. I hate to have your father pictured as lashing a slave boy. It's out and my father is whitewashed. Page 1050, second line from the bottom, change breech-clout. It's a word that you love and I abominate. I would take that and offal out of the language. You are steadily weakening the English tongue, Livy. Page 1095, perhaps you don't care but whoever told you that the prince's green stones were rubies told an untruth. They were superb emeralds. Those strings of pearls and emeralds 
were famous all over bombay all right i'll make them emeralds but it loses force green rubies is a fresh thing and besides it was one of the prince's own staff liars that told me that the book was not quite done even after the triumphant entry of april thirteenth is shown by another note which followed something more than a month later may eighteenth eighteen ninety seven finished the book again edition of thirty thousand words and to mcallister he wrote i have finished the book at last and finished it for good this time now i am ready for dissipation with a good conscience what night will you come down and smoke his book finished clemens went out rather more freely and one evening allowed mcallister to take him around to the savage club there happened to be a majority of the club committee present and on motion mark twain was elected an honorary life member there were but three others on whom this distinction had been conferred stanley nonson and the prince of wales when they told mark twain this he said well it must make the prince feel mighty fine in a volume of savage club anecdotes the date of mark twain's election to honorary membership is given as eighteen ninety nine clemens notebook gives it in eighteen ninety seven he did not intend to rest in another entry we find may twenty third eighteen ninety seven wrote first chapter of above story to-day the above story is a synopsis of a tale which he tried then and later in various forms a tale based on a scientific idea that one may dream an episode covering a period of years in minute detail in what by our reckoning may be no more than a few brief seconds in this particular form of the story a man sits down to write some memories and falls into a doze the smell of his cigarette smoke causes him to dream of the burning of his home the destruction of his family and of a long period of years following awakening a few seconds later and confronted by his wife and children he refuses to believe in their reality maintaining that this condition and not the other is the dream clemens tried the psychological literary experiment in as many as three different ways during the next two or three years and each at considerable length but he developed none of them to his satisfaction or at least he brought none of them to conclusion perhaps the most weird of these attempts and the most intensely interesting so long as the verisimilitude is maintained is a dream adventure in a drop of water which through an incredible human reduction to microbic even atomic proportions has become a vast tempestuous sea mark twain had the imagination for these undertakings and the literary workmanship lacking only a definite plan for development of his tale a lack which had brought so many of his literary ventures to the rocks end of chapter one hundred and ninety seven finishing the book of travel read by john greenman